I invite you to pray with me. Gracious and loving God, we give thanks that we can come and gather together to hear a word from you, Having given songs of praise and recognizing the beauty over all of creation, we come to continue to hear your words spoken to us through the scriptures that we've already read and through the words that I have for us this morning. We pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you know, because I've kind of communicated last time I was here, I wasn't here last Sunday, but um, I've been recently back from travels abroad. My wife and I got to go to Paris, France to celebrate one of my dearest friends in the world's wedding, um, and it was a joyful occasion. Uh, Although one thing that is always clear to me when I travel abroad, though, and I come back, is that we are quite American. <laughs> and the more and older I get, the more I realize how like just subtle nuances about everyday life are just different, right? I see Kat right in the front row, and she's holding up this luxury item that you can't find in Paris, which is a giant coffee, right? Because if you go to Paris, all you can get are these little itty-bitty espressos. And so I was running around the city to make sure that my wife had the coffee she needed in the morning that we had, or that we both had the coffee we needed in the morning. But there's just these small things, right? When you travel abroad, you kind of realize how different people can be throughout the world and how different ways that we relate to the world. And and every time I'm in a city, too, I feel that as well. It's not just about going abroad, but like even going downtown Honolulu, you're like in a different world than in Kailua, right? You know, you're walking around and there's all this busyness that's going on. Or if you go to a different city, just people are on the streets and just moving around. And it's just different places have different common, like, ways of living, and that influences who we are and how we live in the world. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks together, is talking about how we live in the world. And I use that word in because uh, I think for many uh, years, and this has been a tension since the beginning of the church, is what does it mean to be a Christian and to live in the world? I mean, it's been one of the questions that has uh, theologians and church communities have wrestled with since the beginning of our time. Because if, if you know when we began, we began as this like subculture of the Jewish community that was kind of on the skirts and then persecuted like the Jewish community of the time and called out because we weren't, you know, believing that Caesar was divine. And so there's always the questions, well, what does it mean to be faithful and be a Roman citizen and to be part of the community and believe that Jesus is God and Jesus is divine? And and fast forward just a few years, I'm going to go through a little church history, when we became like sort of the Christianity became part of the culture and, you know, more aristocrats were making their way up in the ranks of the Roman, uh, Greco-Roman world. And, you know, all of a sudden the Christians that had kind of lived in the catacombs and the graveyards and on the sides started wrestling, well, well, now what does it mean to be a Christian in the world? Because before it was always kind of like the world was against them, right? And then now they're just trying to figure out what did it mean to be Christian? And so our earliest monks, you know, that phrase that we have, are called the desert monastics, 
who went out into the desert side because they believed that too many Christians were being kind of, kind of tainted by the luxurious lifestyle of the Roman world. And so they went out and they kind of separated themselves because they thought being in the world and being part of the Roman culture was just too much. And then, you know, uh, and then Constantine decided to declare that Christianity was not only legal, but then eventually became the church, the, the religion for the Holy Roman Empire. And so what did it mean for this small ragtag group of disciples to move into the spot on the grandest empire that had walked the face of the earth? What does it mean to be the church in the world? And we've wrestled with it throughout the millennia, through the Crusades. We wrestled with it in the wars of Europe that I was reminded of as I was walking the streets of Paris and the Arc de Triomphe and all the, the symbols and signs of that time. What does it mean to be the church in the world? I remember uh, learning about this kind of question for the first time because uh, I've shared this story a lot, but how I didn't grow up going to, like, you know, in a church culture that told me I had to do this or that, but then I started stumbling in it in Young Life and in a Baptist small group and, uh, or youth group, and then I was told quite quickly about the things that I wasn't supposed to do, and, and we're on the eve of one of the things that I had no idea my whole life that participating in Halloween was not good. Did you know that? Or at least that's what the Christian culture that I had said, because to participate in that was to participate in the things that were wrong with society, right? The demonic influences of wearing, you know, the costumes and all of these things. And so the youth events had their separate events, right? And perhaps this isn't the culture that you grew up in going to, because Methodists have kind of waded the water on. They're not quite sure which side we're on with this, but whatever denomination you find yourself growing up in or not. But you know some people that have had their, like, hallelujah parties on, on Halloween instead of going out in the community, or the church has kind of separated out. I, I didn't know because I didn't, uh, follow the Methodist movement throughout history that when I joined the movement, and I joined because of the, the things that we did in the world around like, you know, caring for creation, around our resolutions that we had for engaging in peace, and all these different things. And so when I joined the Methodist church, I realized that, and then I uh, started to realize, you know, some of the stuff that was written in our class meeting structure, and like the things that you'd have to punch cards as you gathered in the church, and, you know, on it was like, no gambling, and no drinking, and no doing this, no doing that. And it was a time when we, too, have been a people that kind of separated ourselves and said, we're not going to do these things, because we're going to be different, right? We're going to be set apart. We take the words of Jesus, you are a city upon the hill, and let your light shine to the world. And what does that mean now? And one of the constant struggles I have, the, the more I grow in my faith, especially as a pastor that encounters people that, like, are non-church, right? Because before, you know, you, you encounter someone who perhaps doesn't come to church on a regular basis or doesn't, you know, participate in, like, small groups or doesn't read the Bible. And, you know, you can interact with them, and it's normal. You say you go to church, and they might look at you like, kind of like, well, that's interesting, and then move on their day. But I represent the institution, 
right? Because I'm a pastor. And when you share that information, people can be like distant, right? All of a sudden, just like, ah, ah. And then they stop talking to you. And, And it's not because they think I'm a bad person, but it's because at some point in their life, they've been scarred or been hurt or heard the communications of the church tell them something about themselves or something about what they're supposed to do. So when I think of the light upon the hill, I think of the people that stand up in the city and declare their goodness to the world. But we all know that the church throughout history is flawed. If you don't know, I'm surprising you with that information now. And that the people that gather for this thing called church are flawed. Again, surprising you if you didn't know that yourself. And so we gather together to declare God's goodness, and the world perceives it as judgment. When we say this is the way that we're supposed to be, people on the outside that are looking in see us as setting a pedestal up for ourselves and declaring how good we are to the world. And some of us are more subtle than others with it. You know, you have the people on the corners in Waikiki with their megaphones and telling everyone what they need to do to not go to hell. And then you have others that kind of create our little group and do our own Halloween event and do our own events around Christmas, and we just stay in this close-knit. And then you have others of us that are just confused at this whole, what's the problem with the church and the world? So how is it that the church is to engage? And Jesus tells us that we're supposed to lead, though. There's something about this, you're the salt. You're the light. But how do we do that in a way that's not judgmental, that's not putting ourselves on a pedestal? And later on, Jesus goes on, and he makes it seem like that's what he wants, as he says, you know, I come to follow the law, and it kind of gets a real technical, probably lost some people, but then at the end, it's like, you know, if you don't do this better than all the Pharisees or the scribes, you're not going to enter the kingdom. It's almost as if Jesus is perpetuating some perfectionist mentality that we are supposed to lead the world through how we're able to be perfect. Friends, we are not supposed to lead the world through our perfection. St. Augustine uh, was one of the early Christian writers and thinkers that kind of wrestled with this, the church and the world, and what did it mean to be in both at the same time. And, and many people, I think, misunderstood him and thinking that he set up the, the city of man with its temptations and its kind of ways in which we can go astray, and then the city of God. And that the work of the church is to establish the city of God and to be separate from them. But Augustine, I think, had something different in mind, that Augustine really was trying to communicate that we, as God's people, are meant to live in the world as God's people under a different sort of perception of what it means to be in the world. What's driving our influences, what's moving us to good? What does good even look like? 
are questions we ought to ask. As I'm walking the streets of Paris, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what does it look like to be in community here versus at home? Fast forward a little bit, so I've been thinking about this series and how, you know, we can talk about what does it look like to go, and I knew that we were coming up on Halloween, and I started, as I was moving around, my wife and I, we were talking about, like, what, what are people doing all day, right? Like, there's, everyone's just, like, on the streets, and, like, they're eating at coffee shops, and they're, like, bumping into each other, and we're, like, where are people working? They're not even in their office. I mean, here, you walk in the streets in the middle of the day, and it's relatively empty, Right? But there, it's like everyone was just out and about and bumping into each other. On our run on the first morning, we, we took a run and we just stumbled upon this open market. And as we're in the open market, we just start kind of going up to shops. And as we're going up to shops, we start sparking up conversations. And we happened to buy some, it was our first day, so we got our uh, souvenirs for the kids. And so we're talking to the guy that is selling us these things. And, and then it just kind of like happens into a conversation about he's from Ukraine and he had fought in the first few days of the war and he's from the Donbass region. And if you know that, I mean, that's a terrible region of Ukraine and the fighting. And, and he showed us his scars on his arm and on his hip. And he said he moved to Paris to live with his cousin who was Russian. And it's just also crazy because Russians and Ukrainians that, you know, live together and be together. And it was just this fascinating moment of hearing about his life and just talking to him about this world event, right, that we find ourselves in. And it was kind of in that moment that I, I thought to myself, when's the last time in the States that I've had this fascinating conversation with a complete stranger, right? Just like someone that's like just serving us like a service or the checkout line or whatever it is that you all of a sudden find this amazing story. And I know in Hawaii, we're much better at it than in other places. I'd grown up in Minnesota, spent time in the busyness of Southern California. I moved to North Carolina, and one of my pet peeves in North Carolina, the thing I despised the most, was the grocery store. Because at the grocery store, all the clerks wanted to talk to you forever, right? And so you're just trying to check out, and everyone's just talking and talking, and it's taking way longer than it ought. And then I came to Hawaii, and then the same thing, right? Everyone was talking story to you. And I think that we have tenants of it. But I think that we in the United States have lost community in a way that other parts of the world just have it differently. And, if, and you know if you've gone to another place, they just live in community differently than we do. There's this time in the United States where everyone was shooting for the suburbs to get their own house with their own backyard, with their own stuff, and then eventually the gated communities came up so they could live in their own safe pocket where no one was going to bother them, and we all had our own TVs. We don't even have to go to the, the movie theater anymore because our TVs are so big and our sound systems are so great. What's the point of leaving? And we find ourselves, I think, more isolated than ever. And then you add on to that, you add on to that social media that has changed the world, especially our world, and the pandemic. And we live, I believe, 
in some of the most isolating times in community. Because it used to be you bump up to people like this random Ukrainian that told me his story. But now I just pull out my phone, and did you know if I, you know, spend a little bit too much time reading a particular article, Facebook or even the news apps kind of pays attention to that, and they have all this artificial intelligence AI stuff that like puts that into an algorithm, and now they're going to spit out to you more of what you're already interested in. So if you like have Facebook and you t read world news, they're only going to give you world news. If you tend to follow like some pop stars or you know popular culture, or People Magazine is your jam. Like you're going to hear all about what's happening, and you start to make your scroll, and it's like our worldview has now become more like tunneled amidst a lifestyle in the United States that is also isolated and not in community as much. And so thinking and praying about what does it mean for us to be in community, to be in the world as the church, I couldn't help but think what the church, if the church is called to lead to be the light of the world, that we're not called to separate out, but we're called to engage in fostering community in the community that we are called to be agents of kind of unification, of conversation, not of tribal separation. That our call in an era of isolation is to go out and be in the community. But how do we do it? How do we be the city upon the hill that lets our light shine and I'm thinking about what, what does that look like? Because I know what it doesn't look like. It doesn't feel good when we're the ones telling other people, like, you got to do this and you got to do that. So what did Jesus mean? Like, you got to follow the law. You got you to follow this better than the scribes and the Pharisees. And then start to think about, well, what did Jesus do? Because, I mean, he says this weird thing, like, you got to follow all the letters of the law because... I, that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm not taking it away, but all the Pharisees kept getting mad at Jesus for not doing that. Like, he would do things on Sabbath that you weren't supposed to do, like, you know, work. And they pushed back against the Pharisees. And then he would touch people and sit with people that you weren't supposed to sit with or talk to or do because it went against the holiness laws. And so it seems that even Jesus didn't follow his own words of like following the law, or at least the way that we looked at it. And this is where the church, I think, has something to speak to the world. The church isn't about the kind of regulation of what we're supposed to do, but if the church is a community that fosters our life around Jesus and starts to pay close attention to the life he lived and taught us to live, Perhaps that teaches us how to be in the world, not better than the world, but in the world in a way that it needs. Take, for example, Jesus' trademark, God in flesh. The Apostle Paul talks in Philippians that we should be of the same mind as Jesus, who being very nature God, emptied himself and took on the role not of a king, but of a servant. 
So where in the world do we get this idea that our leadership to be a city on the hill is to be better than when God, God's self, didn't do it? God instead came to be with in humility, to serve the community around us. And what would it look like if we go out as a church formed in this ethic of Jesus to be servants, not thinking we're better than anyone, but just going out and being in the community to foster it and to serve it because we know it's so needed. I mean, just as a practice, go home today, and if you're a Googler, you know, or, you know, whatever you do to, like, get your information, just Google, like, American culture and isolation, or social media and isolation. And you won't just get opinions, friends. You'll get medical journals that have been researched on the problem of isolation in America. And some of us know a time when it wasn't so, you know, different when we had clubs and we gathered in bowling alleys and we did this, and you can lead us, really. And did you know that we have the craziest holiday, and this is part of, part of why I, I wanted to talk about this today. We have the craziest holiday coming up in two days that's unlike all others in a community and a world that is totally isolated from each other. Like, who even goes to the next-door neighbor to get a cup of sugar anymore, right? But now we'll go to every next-door neighbor around the block and get loads of sugar on just this one day. And yet Christians have like, you know, we're not going to do that. No, let's do this. We're getting permission to engage in the community. And so my challenge to you is whether you're the front porcher handing it out or whether you're going around and chasing your little ones, maybe spark up a conversation. Try to meet someone new and different than you. Because I guarantee you will run across someone that is not part of your everyday rhythm but they're part of your community, perhaps part of even your neighborhood, just two doors down. I mean, it's a golden opportunity to take Jesus's words to be a light on the hill and to lead and engage in community and help foster it. And it's going to be at all of your doorsteps this week. Your smile, your engagement, looking the kids in the eyes, sparking interest and talking to the kapuna that are handing out candy galore, whatever it is, whoever you are in that, let's not separate out, but let's use this as an opportunity to be the church. And we're going to be talking the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how saints have led us to be community. We're going to talk about what does it mean for children and youth to play a role in community, and how do we give our talents? I mean, this is where we're going to go together. The church in the world is not the church better than the world. The church in the world is the church to serve the world and its needs. And one thing that was more apparent after this past two weeks is that our church in America needs to be a church of community, of bringing people together and just fostering relationships in a world of isolation. You're not better than anyone. Just be yourself. Lead with your flaws, even. 
be humble, have a heart of service, that's how we'll lead as light in the world. That's how we'll live as a people, maybe even different, because our culture is leading us to our way. And we're trying to push us to our way, together, with one another. So this week, your challenge. Halloween, take it. Enjoy it. Find a new friend, a new story, a new opportunity. And if you can't do the night, you can't do Halloween, that's fine. You don't have to do that. Do it some other place in your life then, right? Maybe slow down at the shopping store, or the, like, the grocery store. Maybe engage with the neighbors as you bump up into the condominium complex. Whatever it is, let's be agents of community and unity in the world. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we thank you that you call us to lead, to be lights to the world, and to let your light in us shine. And as we do that, we pray that we would lead with the same marks of leadership that you carried in Jesus, who sought not to rule over or to judge others, but to welcome, to include, to listen, to serve, and who sought not to be king, but humbled himself. Help us do the same. Amen.